Before we get to today's episode, I want to take some time to thank you for listening to Bible Threads as a part of your faith journey. It means a lot to me as well as to the entire team at Time of Grace. At Time of Grace, we have the privilege of sharing the good news of God's amazing grace through multiple communication streams. There's Pastor Mike's weekly video messages, Grace Talks videos, daily Grace Moments devotions, printed books, Bible studies, and journals. Then, of course, we have seven different podcasts, all delivering a message of God's grace. I also want to thank those of you who support this ministry. It's your gifts that make it possible for us to reach people around the world with the message of Jesus' love. So thank you. In our last episode, we considered the many times Jesus used his supernatural power and knowledge to change the lives of the people he met. But we're not finished yet. We have two groups of supernatural events that we'll dive into in today's episode. One group is a big one. All of the medical miracles that Jesus performed that didn't involve demon possession. And the second group involves Jesus' absolute power over death. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. Guess what? In our last episode, when we were covering Jesus healing people with demon possession, I missed one, and it's an important one. Sometime between Jesus feeding the 5,000 and his feeding of the 4,000, Jesus headed to the region along the Mediterranean Sea, the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman, a.k.a. a non-Jew, came crying to Jesus, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Initially, Jesus ignored her. When she kept crying out, Jesus' disciples asked him to send her away. Then Jesus said something interesting. He said, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And when the woman came and knelt in front of Jesus, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Okay, now I'm finally finished with Jesus' miracles of healing people with demon possession. At least I hope so. I'd like to begin today with talking a bit about Jesus' ministry. Three questions that people ask. How old was Jesus when he began his ministry? When did his ministry begin? How long did his ministry last? The answer to the first question is actually stated in the Bible. It's found in Luke chapter 3, just before the genealogy that traces Jesus back, not just to Adam at creation, but to the Creator, God Himself. 
Luke 3.23 says, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. So, why age 30? In the Bible, age 30 is mentioned as the age when a man had the authority to be a leader. Do you know how old Joseph was when he began to serve as a ruler in Pharaoh's Egypt? 30. Do you know how old David was when he became king of Judah? 30. And in order to serve in the temple, a Levite needed to have reached his 30th birthday. Now, although it isn't specifically mentioned in the Bible, Jewish tradition required one to be 30 years old to be recognized as a rabbi, an authoritative teacher. In each case, whether you were a rabbi, a priest, or a king, one needed to be at least 30 years of age. Interesting, isn't it, that Jesus was all three, prophet, priest, and king. When Jesus began his ministry, uh, it can only be approximated by what we know from the Bible and from history. In Luke 3.1, we're told that John the Baptist began his ministry in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar's reign. Tiberius became emperor in 14 AD. So the 15th year of his reign would be 28 or 29 AD. Jesus began his ministry shortly after John because he was six months younger than John. So 29 AD is likely when Jesus began his ministry. Many Bible scholars suggest it was late summer of 29 AD. We find the reason for that thinking in the answer to our third question. We don't have all the information we might like to answer how long Jesus' ministry lasted. Let me explain. According to John's Gospel, Jesus attended at least three annual feasts of the Passover during the course of his ministry. The first one is mentioned in John chapter 2. But this Passover would have likely been in the spring of the year 30 AD, and it isn't the start of Jesus' ministry. By that first Passover, just consider all that Jesus had already done. Jesus had been baptized in the Jordan River by John. From the Jordan, the Spirit led Jesus out into the desert for 40 days where he was tempted by the devil. From the desert, he traveled north to Galilee to begin his preaching and teaching ministry. He spoke in the synagogue in Nazareth, where the crowd wanted to put him to death. He went then to Capernaum. He called his first disciples. He went to a wedding in Cana, where he performed his first miracle. From Cana, Jesus went back to Capernaum with his family. All this and more happened before he went to Jerusalem to celebrate the first Passover of his ministry. This is why Bible scholars believe Jesus' ministry started in late summer of 29 AD. Another Passover mentioned in John's Gospel is in John chapter 6, verse 4. However, many Bible scholars believe that because of all of the places Jesus traveled to during his ministry, and all of the teaching, and all of the miracles, and all of the interactions with the Jewish religious leaders, that there was another Passover between the one mentioned in John chapter 2 and John 6. The last Passover mentioned in John's Gospel in chapter 11 occurred right before Jesus' crucifixion and death. Then, to the timeline, we need to add 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. So, if there were only three Passovers that Jesus celebrated during his ministry, 
that would mean his ministry lasted about two and a half years. If there was another Passover between the first two mentioned in John's Gospel, then Jesus' ministry would have lasted about three and a half years. For what it's worth, I favor the latter view, a three-plus-year ministry. With that time frame in mind, let's uh, look at this next big group of supernatural events in the ministry of Jesus, medical miracles. In John chapter 2, we learn that Jesus went to Jerusalem for his first Passover during his ministry. While in Jerusalem, Jesus went to the temple, and when he saw the money changers there, he drove them out. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? The Jewish religious leaders challenged Jesus. What miraculous sign can you show to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Now the Jews thought he was referring to Herod's temple that took 46 years to build. But Jesus was talking about his body, his life. The disciples would recall what Jesus said on this particular day after his resurrection. But isn't it interesting that the next thing we learn would be an answer to the religious leader's question about a miraculous sign? It's a summary statement. Now, while he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. On a second visit to Cana, there was a royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. This official came to Cana looking for Jesus, found him, and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Jesus told the man, You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and headed home. I'm just amazed at faith like that. On his way home, the official servants met him with the good news that his son had gotten better at the exact time that Jesus had said, your son will live. By the way, this was the second miracle that Jesus performed, the first two being in the town of Cana. Recall when Jesus went to the synagogue in Nazareth from our last episode? Shortly after that event, he traveled north to Capernaum and went to teach in the synagogue there. This is where Jesus healed his first demon-possessed man, whom we also mentioned in our last episode. After leaving the synagogue, Jesus went to the home of Simon, who would later get a new name from Jesus, the name Peter. At Simon's house, we meet Simon's mother-in-law, who was suffering from a high fever. The family asked Jesus to help her. So Jesus bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once. Jesus rebuked demons who were possessing people, and here he rebukes the fever of Simon's mother-in-law. To rebuke someone or something means to express strong disapproval or to denounce. A question comes to mind, one that we can't answer. Did demons have anything to do with the high fever? The Bible doesn't tell us. That evening when the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness— and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. It's clear that Jesus did not want any testimony that came from demons 
even though that testimony was true. Shortly after Jesus called some of his first disciples, a man came to Jesus who was covered in leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. I do want to mention that the Greek word translated as leprosy means any dreaded skin disease, of which leprosy was one kind. One of my favorite Bible stories as a kid that involved a medical miracle was the hole-in-the-roof story. One day Jesus was teaching inside of a house. Some men approached the house carrying a man on a mat, a think-stretcher who suffered from paralysis in his legs. They wanted to get the man to Jesus, but it was too crowded. So they went up on the roof, took off the tiles, and lowered the man into the house right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Which got some Pharisees and teachers of the law thinking to themselves. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Did you catch that? Jesus can read hearts. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. And he did. On another occasion, again in a synagogue on the Sabbath, Jesus again read the minds of the religious leaders who were looking for a reason to accuse him. They wanted to see if Jesus would heal on the Sabbath, which they believed was unlawful. Just prior to this event, Jesus had made the claim that he was Lord of the Sabbath. And there in the synagogue was a man with a shriveled hand. Jesus had the man stand in front of him, and then he asked the religious leaders, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? Jesus healed the man, making the religious leaders furious. Literally, the original word means they were filled with madness, and they began to plot how to get rid of Jesus. On a visit to Jerusalem, Jesus visited a pool of water known as Bethesda. Around the pool, there were people who had various medical conditions. Periodically, the waters in this pool would stir, and whoever could get into the pool first when the water stirred would be typically healed. There was a man there who could never get in the pool fast enough to be the first one. So Jesus asked him if he wanted to get well. Then Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. Jesus performed this medical miracle again on the Sabbath, and you can imagine the religious leaders' reaction when they heard about it. On Jesus' next trip to Capernaum, Jesus healed the servant of a Roman centurion. The centurion had heard that Jesus was in town, so he asked some Jewish elders to go to Jesus and plead on his behalf for Jesus to come and heal his servant. As Jesus headed to his house, some friends of the centurion met Jesus on the road, and they gave Jesus a message from the centurion. 
He said, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Upon hearing this, Jesus said to the crowd, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then Jesus healed the servant without ever going to the centurion's home. In just a bit, we're going to talk about Jesus and the daughter of Jairus. When Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house, a rather unique medical miracle occurred. In Luke chapter 8, we learn that the crowds were almost crushing Jesus. There were so many of them. A woman was in that crowd who had a bleeding disorder for the previous 12 years. She came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. Jesus wanted to know who touched him because he knew that his power had gone out. The woman came forward and fell at Jesus' feet and told Jesus why she did it. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. After this healing event, Jesus went on his way to Jairus' house. Two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith will it be done to you. And their sight was restored. It's at this point, apparently, in Jesus' ministry that he went to Tyre and Sidon and healed the Canaanite woman's daughter. And when he left that region, he traveled back to the Sea of Galilee and the Decapolis. The Decapolis were ten ancient Greek cities, with nine of the ten located east of the Jordan River. There, some people brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and who could hardly talk. After taking the man away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. Jesus looked up into the sky and with a deep sigh said to the man, Ephatha, which means be opened. Immediately the man could hear and speak. From the Decapolis, located southeast of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus and his disciples got on a boat and traveled to the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, a region known as Dalmanutha. From there they headed to Bethsaida, where Jesus healed another blind man. This time, after leading him out of the village, Jesus spit in his eyes twice, because once wasn't enough, and his sight was restored. One day Jesus and his disciples were walking along and met a man who had been born blind. The disciples asked, uh, who, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man or his parents, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Then Jesus spit on the ground and made some mud with his saliva. He put the mud on the man's eyes and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. After he did, he could see. One Sabbath, Jesus encountered a woman who had been crippled for 18 years. She was bent forward and couldn't straighten up. Jesus said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. He put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Of course, the synagogue ruler was upset that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. 
and he was being watched. There was a man there who had dropsy. Do you know what dropsy is? Uh, today we call it edema, too much fluid in the body's tissues. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law whether it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath. They didn't answer Jesus' question. It didn't matter. Jesus healed the man. One of the most well-known medical miracles was the healing of the ten lepers. Jesus told these ten lepers to go and show themselves to the priests to get a clean bill of health. On the way, they were healed. One of the takeaways of this event was that only one of the lepers returned to Jesus to give thanks. And he was a Samaritan, a non-Jew. This encounter occurred as Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for his last Passover. Another encounter that Jesus had on his way to Jerusalem involved two blind men. Jesus touched their eyes and they could see. What's noteworthy is that both men joined the crowd in following Jesus. The last medical miracle in Jesus' ministry occurred in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus was being arrested. Peter had whipped out a sword and cut off the ear of one of the high priest's servants. Jesus reached out, touched the man's ear, and healed him. Now, in addition to all of these specific medical miracles, there are nine times, by my count, when there aren't any specifics mentioned, but just the statement that Jesus healed many in this place or that place. Do you ever wonder how many people Jesus actually healed? The last group of supernatural events in the life and ministry of Jesus are matters of life and death. In Luke 7, we read that one day Jesus was entering the town of Nain. This was early in his ministry. A funeral pro procession was coming out of the town. The only son of a mother had died. Jesus stopped the procession, touched the coffin, and said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And he did. One day, a man by the name of Jairus came to Jesus, asking him to heal his daughter who was dying. Jesus headed to Jairus' home along with Jairus and the crowd. Remember, this is where the woman with the blood disorder touched Jesus' robe and he healed her. After that, a servant came to Jesus and Jairus and said, Your daughter is dead. Jesus continued on to Jairus' home. People were crying. Jesus told them to stop crying because the girl wasn't dead, just sleeping. And the people laughed at Jesus. But they stopped laughing when Jesus took the girl's hand and said, My child, get up. And she did. Only John's Gospel account <clears throat> records the events involving Lazarus, his sickness, and his death. Lazarus lived in Bethany, a small town just outside of Jerusalem, along with his sisters Mary and Martha. They were dear friends of Jesus. Word came to Jesus that Lazarus was sick, and Jesus stayed where he was for two additional days before heading to Bethany. When he did arrive, Lazarus had since died and had been in his grave for four days. Jesus told the people to open the grave. Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, 
his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus had the supernatural power even to restore life to dead people. And he's going to do that on the last day. The intersections between the natural and the supernatural occurred more frequently during the life and ministry of Jesus than anywhere else in the Bible. But that shouldn't be surprising to us. It's what happens when the God of heaven steps into the world of the Bible. Our next episode will be the final one in this series, and it will cover the remaining supernatural intersections occurring in the rest of the New Testament namely the book of Acts and the epistles, or better known as the New Testament letters. If you have any questions about this podcast, please email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. I'd love to hear from you. And again, if you want to learn more about the life and ministry of Jesus, go to our Grace Talks videos at timeofgrace.org. There are plenty to choose from, and they're really good. Thanks for listening and God bless.